Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Ivy. Ivy is the nothing personal word of the day. You say Ivy, I think greenery. I say Ivy, I think Ivy League colleges. The Ivies. Who doesn't want to go to an Ivy? Yesterday they announced, absolutely expected in my opinion, they announced together as a conference, the Ivy League conference. You're talking about Yale, Harvard, Dartmouth, Cornell, Princeton, Penn, Columbia, I may have missed one. The Ivy League's announced they have canceled football. No, they didn't. Did I not mention Princeton? By the way, if I didn't mention Princeton, Coca, that is almost purposeful. That is funny how the brain works. But yes, Princeton is an Ivy. So did they announce that they're canceling the football season, postponing the football season, not playing football? No, they're the Ivies. They know better. They know how to make an announcement. They came out in public and said, there will be no fall sports in 2020. And they left it at that. They weren't putting football above soccer or above cross country. They simply said, fall sports have been canceled. That has started a wave of back and forth CYA. What are we going to do? What does this mean amongst the other conferences, the likes of which we haven't seen since when? Since March. We went on nothing personal in March, and we said that the Ivy Leagues have canceled their conference basketball tournament, and people said, especially people at CBS, oh, that doesn't mean anything. It's the Ivy League conference. Who cares? They're just going to put Yale into the tournament. Do you remember I predicted Yale would then win the NCAA tournament because they won the regular season? No big deal. Conference tournament canceled. It won't mean a thing. The other conferences had said, of course not. NCAA, we're going to go on with the basketball tournament. Everything's fine. There's nothing to see here. COVID, schmovid, dovid. Well, wouldn't you know, after that, it started an avalanche of cancellations, one at a time, like ripping off. How do you rip off a Band-Aid? This tells a lot about a person. There's two ways. Let's pretend that you don't laser or wax or shave and that you have hair on your body in various places. And you put a Band-Aid on. There's two ways to take a Band-Aid off. You take it off slowly. You peel it off and you wince every time it catches a hair and you wince a little bit more with the second hair and you're pulling it off slowly and slowly and finally it comes off. Or... The second way is the Band-Aid is on a patch of hair and you rip it off so quickly that obviously five to seven hairs come off with it. You scream with pain. It lasts about two seconds and then it's done. 
You've ripped off the Band-Aid. That's the expression. I prefer ripping off the Band-Aid. I would always rather have one second of maximum pain than 20 seconds of medium pain. I guess it's just how you are. So the question is, what are you? I'm not talking to you, the listeners or people watching. I'm talking to you, the athletic directors and presidents of other conferences, other schools. Are you going to rip off the Band-Aid or are you going to remove it hair by hair, moment by moment, the way conferences canceled their tournaments after the Ivy League canceled its basketball tournament? One at a time, then another, then another. So everyone's been very, very nervous now. What's going to happen to college football? The networks are nervous. CBS is nervous. Without college football, no highlight. We need highlights. We need football. The schools are nervous. If we don't have football, what will that do to our budget? What will that do to the other sports? What will that do to our entire economic model? Hold on. They're going to get to it. They're going to get to it in a minute. That's right. What will it do to the health of our quote-unquote student-athletes? It's my favorite quote when they refer to the players who play for Alabama as student-athletes. Okay. So the Ivy League cancels, and everyone stands up, specifically the big five conferences, and they say the following. We respect very much what the Ivy Leagues had to say, that this was not a statement. This is what they were saying. I'm sort of reading between the lines, which is what we do on Nothing Personal. We respect what the Ivy Leagues are doing, but I should say that they don't speak for us, and they have a completely different situation in that they've got such big endowments and that they don't have big TV contracts, and losing football is not a big deal at all. Well, why did the Ivies actually do what they did? Well, I can tell you with firsthand knowledge that the Ivy Leagues do not make decisions based on a whim. They don't make it based on money. They make it based on what they believe to be in the best interests of the students, the coaches, the faculty, the support workers, and the general global surroundings, not just in their community where the school is located, but then in the state and then in the country and then in the world. Because Ivy League schools, you can call them what you want. You can have Ivy League jealousy, which I have, although I love being a Badger. I love it. I'm a Badger. I'm a Badger. I'm a Badger, and I love Wisconsin. There is something about the Ivy League schools. But they are thought leaders. They are emotionless, intellectual leaders. They take facts from both sides of the aisle, this is not a political virus for them, from both sides of the aisle, they apply what they know. They have researchers. They have brilliant people looking at problems, not just COVID, but all sorts of other problems in this world. And then they are not just thought leaders, but solution providers. So that when they come out and say that they are postponing, canceling, fall sports. They don't do it without understanding the ripple effect of that decision. And if you are the athletic director of another school, not in the Ivies, you have to pay attention to that. 
some of the big conferences came out and said, listen, we appreciate what they're saying, but we're going to make our own decision in our own time. And what the Ivies have decided does not impact us. They're lying. It 100% impacts them. As a matter of fact, have you ever heard of something called the football bowl subdivision, the FBS? The football bowl subdivision is comprised of, let's say, over 130 schools. It's what used to be called, I believe, Division 1A. This is where college football, it is big business. Back in April, when COVID was first starting, and college football season seemed eons away. One athletic director said that he did not believe, I said he and I apologize, I don't know whether it was a he or a she, an athletic director said there will not be a football season. Now, when asked today, three quarters of FBS, football bowl subdivision, three quarters of the ADs now believe the season will be delayed. Three quarters, which means by definition, more than one of those ADs believes the season will be canceled. Where I come out is very simple. You cannot pretend that you are interested in the safety of your student athletes and right now agree to have a college football season. There are countries out there playing baseball. Yes, they are. Nobody's playing football. Part of what the rules are in those countries, might I add, is no screaming, no singing, no cheering, no yelling, barely any talking, because that releases particles from your mouth, which is how COVID spreads. Can you imagine that in football, they're saying, we'll put face masks on. No problem. We'll have shields. Nothing will ever get inside the shield. There can be screaming within the huddle. There can be contact. There is no way that is being responsible for the health of the student athletes. Why would schools in the FBS be forced to play football? Money. We talk about it on nothing personal, but now we've got a senator who's willing to acknowledge what we all know is true, but very few are willing to say. There's a senator in Connecticut. His name is Richard Blumenthal. He came out with an absolutely perfect quote today. There's absolutely nothing different between the Ivy League and any division except for the money. To be very blunt, he said, it's about the money. And if the other schools fail to follow the Ivy League's lead, it will only be because of the money. And in fact, it will be another misguided act in a long litany of putting school profits ahead of the people who play for them. The reason I love that is I don't want to be the only person, although I love being the only pod, by the way, nothing personal that we talk about money in the way we do. We talk about how honest it is to make business decisions over financial decisions. And for professional leagues, I understand that. But you cannot do it when you are not paying your athletes. And don't give me the crap that, oh, we're going to start with NIL in a few years. Name, image, likeness, we'll pay them. 
That's not you. That means they can cash in on their name image likeness from anyone but the school. And I know schools benefit from the athletes. Of course I do. But schools also benefit from having researchers cure cancer, discover new ways to win Nobel Prizes, win Pulitzer Prizes. Schools benefit by having anybody who is successful and changes the world attached to their schools. You tell me right now how it's going to work. That if you're not allowing all of your students on campus, how is it that you're going to have some of your students come, but only those who happen to play football or only those who, you know, are working on a research project that will get grants from federal government or state government and will lead to more positive attention to your school while a normal freshman or sophomore who's more interested in getting stoned, doing some studying, going to some parties, They can't be on campus, and certainly no one can attend classes. You cannot make that differentiation. And we haven't even mentioned the reality of what's happening with international students. What if there's an international student on a sports team, on a football team, or involved in a research project, except there's no online, there's no in-person classes, they're all online? Do you know that those international students have to, will lose their visas and have to return to their countries of origin? So schools are going to say, you know what, if you're foreign born and we're having only online classes, we're going to play football. But if you weren't born in the U.S., sorry, you've got to go home. There are too many other issues going on right now for the other conferences not to pay attention to the Ivy Leagues. It's okay to acknowledge that we are having a year from H-E double hockey sticks. Coca just told me there are 20,000 international student athletes enrolled and competing at NCAA schools. 20,000. Not anymore, Coca. Not anymore. Stanford is not an Ivy League school. Stanford is a school that is obviously phenomenal. As a matter of fact, Coca, put that back. I'm going to get to it. Put that back. Stanford is a school that with Yale, and I'm lucky enough to be a part of Yale, not as a graduate, as a parent, and as a someone who's involved in 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 a board, we pay attention to Stanford. Stanford did something yesterday that we talked that University of Cincinnati had done before. And it made me realize that we have to give you an explanation as to why a school like Stanford, which is flush with money, why they did what they did yesterday. You see, Stanford has 36 sports, and I told you in the beginning that if there's no football, if basketball is canceled and money gets decreased in terms of what is paid to the schools, the impact will be felt by other sports who are supported by these bigger sports. Stanford announced yesterday they have cut 11 out of their 36 sports. 11. Let's read to you. Men's fencing, gone. Women's fencing, see ya. Field hockey, Bye-bye. Lightweight rowing. By the way, not heavyweight rowing, lightweight rowing. I guess that's what I would be on. Although my parent is not Lori Laughlin. 
men's rowing, co-ed sailing, and women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, not regular swimming, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and men's wrestling. They're gone. Done. By the way, if you're listening to this, you don't know what I just did. I just did that noise that you do when you put your your hand across your throat as though it's a slit. It's such an ugly, violent gesture, but as in cut off, as in cut off the head. Stanford with billions, tens of billions. Coca, check out what is Stanford's endowment? Endowment is money that is built through donors that is often directed towards certain areas of the school. Whenever schools with big endowments make cuts, everyone yells and screams, there should be, it's $27.7 billion. I was pretty close in 20, in 2019. Thank you, Coca. You are on the program. Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Coca is on the program today. As soon as I say that, he's going to disappear, of course. So the endowment, everyone says, why are you cutting this program? Why are you cutting that program? Why are you, why are you not cutting tuition? Take money from the endowment. It's not that easy. The endowment is used. It's directed towards certain things. And part of the endowment every year is used to operate the school. But if there is a loss above what is projected, you cannot just dip into the endowment and say, we're okay. We've got $27.7 billion. The focus is what is the return of that $27.7 billion? The investment return is what is used to fund the school, the operation of the school, to fund financial aid, capital improvements. Do you know how many people in school don't pay full rack rate and get scholarships, get aid? Cuts have to be made when revenue's down. Stanford stood up and said, we are cutting 11 sports. There are people who went to Stanford for the sole purpose of being lightweight rowers or co-ed sailors. By the way, I was fully expecting to see co-ed naked twister, but I don't see it. I guess Stanford did not cut co-ed naked twister. That'd be quite a thing to be. How do you, if you're going to participate in varsity blues, and you're going to lie on your college application for your kid or have take the SATs for your kid and say that they're a sport. Imagine if you submit that your child is not a coxswain on crew, but a coxswain for co-ed naked twister. Anyway, Stanford cut, cuts these and they're saying to themselves, how do we announce this? How do we say that these 11 sports and how do we tell the student athletes who play these 11 sports that these programs are done when many of these kids may have gone to the school for that purpose? Forgetting that it's Stanford or Yale or any other school where you would think they may have gone for the degree or for the name on the degree, but many of them actually do go to compete in sports and get the name on the degree. They sit, the athletic director, the president, they go through budgets and they make hard decisions. Guess what, Clemson? You're going to have to do it. Alabama, you too. Ohio State, yes. Michigan, of course. We are only beginning to hear about schools cutting sports and schools dealing with the reality that the college football season, like it or not, is at least going to be delayed and likely to be canceled in its entirety. What I wanted Coca not to delete, so 
I, I've told you, and I just want to remind you how Nothing Personal works. We tape 45 minutes in a row, and then we release whatever happens. We don't cut. We don't edit. Whatever happens, happens. And sometimes during the course of the show, Coca finds a little nugget, and he puts it in the show because I've got a document that has the topics we're going to talk about, and Coca has access to the document, and he'll write things down. He'll talk into my ear. Whatever the case is, something will come up that he wants me to add. As you know, what we are adding now is our own YouTube channel that Coca somehow figured out a way to get and name Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Please, if you're watching on YouTube, just subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this wherever you download your podcasts, thank you. Make sure you rate and review. Tell some friends. There's a lot of attention going to these now, these podcast awards. We're up for a podcast award. We may be nominated for in the sports category. There's a way to do it. It's on the YouTube link. There's a link in uh, on Twitter, on my Twitter. I tweeted about something. There's a link when we do the details of this pod where you hear what we're talking about. And uh, so there's a lot going on. And I'm very appreciative to all of you. So Coca, sometimes during the course of a show, will say, hey, this just came up. Let's discuss it. So this made him laugh. And normally when something makes him laugh, it makes you laugh. Not necessarily me, but I'd rather you laugh than me. So here it goes. And this is a CC. It's actually a CT. Why did I say CC? I don't know why I said CC. I just saw a picture of CC Sabathia. Maybe that's why. But this is a CT. A Coca tweet. Although he didn't tweet it, so it's not even a CT. Coca, it's just a Coca comment. That's what I meant by CC. NFL teams per NFL network will be forbidden from post-game interactions within six feet of each other, and jersey exchanges between players will be prohibited during the 2020 season? Coca, this isn't real. This is not real, right? Okay, so the post-game interactions, when they go shake hands, when they fraternize, when they sometimes do a prayer circle, when they do the Dwayne Wade jersey exchange and they rip off their jersey to show their shoulder pads and the schwitz underneath and the clips and then they, all of that, sources say, canceled? Forbidden? That's the problem with football. My bad. Coca's right. COVID will not spread during a football game because... There will be no post-game interactions within six feet. By the way, what about the pre-game interactions? Can you do a jersey exchange pre-game? It's ridiculous. That didn't happen, Coca. You just put it in nothing personal today, and it says post-game only, and that's going to matter. G-M-A-B. Give me a small break. Speaking of breaks, when we come back, we've got a birthday to deal with. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Peter Scolari's acting buddy and bosom buddies with Donna Dixon. Happy birthday to you. Tom Hanks is 64 years old today. I love Tom Hanks since Bosom Buddies. I've loved him every step of the way. Bachelor Party was one of his early movies. Splash. Madison is one of my favorite names, if not streets. I grew up for many years on Madison Avenue. Remember when she was named Madison after Madison Avenue, Daryl Hannah and Splash with John Candy and Joe Rose from Schitt's Creek? That's Eugene Levy. So in honor of Tom Hanks' 64th birthday, here we go. We're doing the impossible. We are reviewing the top five Tom Hanks movies of all time. He has a top 20. That's how good he is. But when I was looking at his birthday, looking at his movies, and thinking, how am I going to do a top five? I knew that I had to bring in a guest. So we've got a special guest to do Tom Hanks' top five movies. Let's welcome in my friend and yours, Wilson. Hi, Wilson. Wilson and I have been spending quarantine together. He's on the show every day, and he's looked for an opportunity to participate in the show, and today is that day. Now, Wilson, did you make the top five? No. Well, how do, you, how do, we, how do we prove that? Because, Wilson, will you do the top five? Yes. All right, Wilson. I didn't think Wilson had such a deep voice. Yes, I do. All right, Wilson, what's your top five? Number five, the Green Mile. I like it when he eats all those locusts. The Green Mile, that's a great one. That's Michael Clark Duncan, Wilson, that big guy. Yes, and you know who else is in that? One of the prison guards in the Green Mile is actually Paul Giamatti's dad in Billions. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right, what's number four, Wilson? A league of their own because I don't cry either. I know, Wilson, but you help me when I'm crying. Love you, Wilson. I know you don't cry. That's the best part of you. Yes, league of their own is number four. What's number three? Were you scared at number three? No, because I knew we had a problem. It's Apollo 13. Yes, I love Apollo 13. You're right, Wilson. Now, when he says Houston, I'm Houston, we have a problem. Right, Wilson, we've got some problems, don't we? Not those kind of problems. I got to fix your nose, Wilson. Okay, number two. Number two was quite a movie, wasn't it? Saving Private Ryan. Wilson, 
Did you watch? Were you scared in the beginning of Saving Private Ryan? It's the best war scene of any movie, isn't it? Wasn't it sad at the end when he died? Tom Hanks died at the end of Saving Private Ryan. But is there a movie that, wait, there's still a number one movie. Wilson, you know what number one is. You know my number one. You know it. Tell everyone. Cast away. Way to go, Wilson. You knew that Castaway was going to be your number one. Castaway was my number one, too. Thank you, Wilson. Did you know you were going to be the star of Castaway? I meant to ask you that. You knew the whole time, didn't you? Do you know how much I cried when he lost you, Wilson? I promise you, I cried every time I watched Castaway. When he loses you and he can't get to you, not when he threw you out in the rain. He found you then. I'm talking about when you got lost at sea. I will never let you go, Wilson. Thank you, Wilson. Rest your voice. Top five Tom Hanks movies. You knew Castaway would be number one, didn't you? I did. You know what I want to do with Wilson after this quarantine's over? I don't think it'll ever end in Florida because every day we're breaking records. And by the way, for those of you saying the tests are positive because the tests are going up, we're also at a higher death rate, higher positivity rate. It's terrible here. And by the way, Wilson is encouraging me to leave the house without a mask. Why, Wilson? I know that'll keep me quarantined. I'm not doing it. I won't leave you. And I will get you your own mask. Happy birthday, Tom. One place I want to take Wilson is Nashville. Nashville is a city where there's a lot of dancing. There's been a lot of attention because what happened in Nashville is interesting in that when the COVID happened and there was a stay at home and then it opened up, there's a main street. I don't know what it's called, where all the bars are. I think Kid Rock that, uh, I don't know, is Kid Rock a, uh, I don't know what kind of music he has. I don't know that I've heard any of his songs, but he's got a, a bar that he owns and in Nashville. They play live music all the time and it is just crowds of people. It is like, uh, it's an amazing city. And so Nashville has a successful AAA baseball team, and they have been trying to get a major league team. They already have a football team called the Tennessee Titans. Coca, do I have that right? Did I say the Tennessee Oilers one time? I think it's the Tennessee Titans. And the football stadium is right in downtown. By the way, Coca's gone now. I think the whole Wilson thing put him over the edge. I think Coca has officially said he's finished. Wilson, I'm sorry. I thought you were great. It was your first ever performance. He hadn't spoken in years, Coca. Give him a break. He had a frog in his throat and some seaweed and some hay and straw. So Nashville is trying to get Major League Baseball because the rumor is that Major League Baseball may expand. There's another rumor that Tampa and Oakland can't get new facilities, so they may relocate. So Nashville is stepping up and they got a lot of attention this week when they signed on to join their bid to attract baseball to Nashville. They signed on Dave Dombrowski. Dave Dombrowski was the World Series winning manager, both in Florida. I believe he won one in Boston. He was with Detroit. He is a well-known baseball executive and he's joined on in the help to bring Baseball to Nashville. 
Joining a group that includes Tony La Russa, the Hall of Fame manager, and Dave Stewart, the man with the greatest scowl in the history of baseball. Dave Stewart used to be a pitcher for the Oakland A's, and when he was phenomenal. And when he would pitch, he would look at you with that scowl that was downright scary. And then when you talk to him and meet him, he's the most gentle man ever. I had a chance to spend some time with Dave Stewart when the Marlins were being sold. He was amongst the people who had shown an interest in buying the Marlins. There's a lot of attention right now, given where we are in the world, that Nashville, one of their selling points is that there would be the first time a controlling owner who's an African-American. Well, it's not going to be Dave Stewart because Dave Stewart does not have the ability to be a controlling owner in baseball, much like Derek Jeter doesn't, much like uh, in my view, in my view, a rod doesn't. Uh, and, and do you know that, uh, the issue of African American ownership is one that goes back so long in baseball when the, um, Baltimore Orioles were bought by Peter Angelos at auction. One of the bidders was, uh, Oh, Coco. I, I want to say his name was, uh, Fugit. He was part of a, a food company, a very wealthy African-American. He actually never bid. The Orioles were sold at a bankruptcy auction, and the bids went back and forth between Jeffrey Lurie and Peter Angelos. And then Bill DeWitt, who now owns the Cardinals, joined Peter Angelos in their bid, and they won over, over Jeffrey. And uh, But there was his name. Can you check it, Coca, if by chance, whenever you happen to listen to this show, which at some point you will, I think his name was Gene Fugit. And he was part of a food company that is, uh, oh, God, does this happen to anybody else where it's on the tip of your tongue and you feel like you know it, but you don't? And then you do when you think of it, and then it's two in the morning and you're exhausted, but it comes to you? In any case, that was a big deal back then that there was a chance that he would get the Orioles and be the first African-American. Beatrice, thank you, Coca. He was in charge and the founder of Beatrice Foods. So Gene Fugit never made a bid, but it was a big deal that he would be the first control person, the first majority owner control person of a Major League Baseball team. It didn't happen. And now we're 27 years later. And can it happen? Articles are being written. It's going to happen in Nashville. Well, if Music City, and that's the name of the group that now has David Dombrowski, if they actually do get a team, which, by the way, I don't think they will, because first you have to take care of the Tampa Bay Stadium situation. Then you have to take care of the Oakland situation, the stadium situation. And if you cannot get a stadium in either of those two places, then they're going to look to relocate. And if they relocate, they'll relocate as themselves owning the team. So then you'd have to say, is it possible that they would sell the team to a group based in Nashville? And the answer is, does John Fisher, part of the Gap family, or Stuart Sternberg, a very wealthy Wall Street hedge fund man, does he want to, do they want to sell their franchises? And if so, can Nashville come up with the money to build a stadium, come up with a TV deal, and somehow figure out a way to get an owner in there who's putting in enough money to help pay for the stadium and to either buy a team or pay an expansion fee to baseball. So when exactly is that going to happen? When can expansion happen? Not very soon. Spent a lot of time on expansion when I was in baseball as part of the competition committee and strategic planning committee where I sat in on many meetings, the eventual goal of baseball is to get to 32 teams. Right now, there's 30. 
Right now, there's 15 in the American League, 15 in the National League, which is why there's an interleague series at all times during the normal 162-game schedule. If you go to 16 and 16, obviously, that makes scheduling easier. So expanding to two teams would be smart. Also, it would bring in money. If that, Let's say there's a billion-dollar expansion fee, which is not so unreasonable. Hey, Coco, quickly do the math. If there's a billion-dollar expansion fee, how much money would that be for 30 teams? Do a billion divided by 30. What do you think? Can you get to about 35 million bucks? That's nothing to sneeze at. Each team could use 35 million bucks. Expand twice, what's 35 times dose? That's going to be 70. Coca got in his calculator and told me it's 33.33 billion. Thank you very much. That is value added producer of the year. By the way, is there a category in these podcast words for producer of the year? Because for me, you would be an absolutely right up there amongst the almost to be nominated. So bringing in these expansion fees is something that would be smart to do and all the owners want it. But you can't expand to 32 teams until you've got 30 other teams and their stadium situations taken care of. And by the way, it's not just Tampa and Oakland that have the problem. Do you know that Arizona is already trying to get a new stadium? They're fighting with Arizona and politicians to figure out how to get a new stadium and who's going to pay for it. And after COVID and what's going on with the economy, I don't think that any public entity is going to be stepping up to do any sort of public-private partnership and putting any sort of public funding into any stadium anytime soon. Therefore, you have to find an owner who has the billions of net worth to build his or her own stadium and pay an expansion fee and maybe buy a team. Who could that be? Segway alert, Segway alert, S-E-G-U-E-A-L-E-R-T. Today's Thursday for all of you listening in New York. And I know there are a bunch of you because I get the stats and thank you. Today's the day when the New York Mets receive bids. A-Rod and J-Lo will be submitting a bid for the Mets today. Josh Harris and David Blitzer will be submitting a bid for the Mets today. Steve Cohn will be submitting a bid for the Mets today. Does that mean the Mets are being sold today? Nope. These are not binding bids. These are simply indications of interest. They're going to call it something fancy when you read the articles in the New York Post and Newsday and in the New York Times and you see it on CBS or any of the other networks where you get your news. Well, nothing personal. Let me tell you what it is. This is when you are selling your team and you want to get as many people as possible into the second round where you go into further negotiation over a detailed transaction. Right now, there is what's called a discovery room. There is a room where people go to get a level of documents so they can look at the Mets financials, not in detail. They can't meet with any of the Mets executives. They get an understanding of the revenues and expenses of the Mets. Then you submit for today what you think the bid will be. Remember, Steve Cohn was going to buy the team for $2.6 billion, except the Mets did not accept it because the Mets with Fred and Jeff Wilpon, who are the current owners, Jeff Wilpon, the son, is the COO and part owner of the team, wanted to run the team for another five years. Steve Cohn said, no, deal falls apart. Now the Wilpons have agreed that they are selling the team and they are selling it all in right now. You've got the team. You've got control. 
So Steve Cohn is back in business. But once these bids come in today, it is simply an indication of what you will bid. You, do, you are not forced to bid that amount when you file an official bid, when you make an official bid, when you submit an official bid. When you are going to the banks to get your financing, you do not have to use the number you give today as what your bottom line number will be. It is simply a way for Fred Wilpon to get an understanding of who's serious and who's not. You heard it here. A-Rod, Steve Cohn, and Josh Harris and David Blitzer will all be granted the right to go to the second stage. The second stage will involve more detail, more conversation, and then binding bids. And that will not happen, in my view, in a best-case scenario, four weeks. But I think it's going to be longer. While the Mets have said they want to get it done by October, it's going to be très, très difficile. Okay, I got a quick correction. Something came up yesterday, and I wanted to make sure I correct it on day 116 of the ML Beer Challenge. Today is day 116, and uh, we're getting closer. What are you doing two weeks from today? Coca, you busy? Make sure you stay healthy. Be smart. Wear a mask. Do not get COVID because we are going to get our hair and beard cut. We have not shaved since MLB shut down and July 23rd is MLB opening day. Please, please don't let it rain in Washington. First pitch, 7.08 p.m. on July 23rd. Coca, what if there's a rain delay? What if it's rained out? We have to wait till 10.08 when the Dodgers and Giants play. What if everything's fine and then the season gets delayed a day before they're ready to play? You and I are going to be despondent. I did a segment yesterday on Andrew McCutcheon and individualism and him saying that the Yankees' facial hair policy and hair below the collar hurt his individualism. I want to say that a loyal listener corrected me. I stated that He cut his dreadlocks when he was traded to the Yankees. I was wrong. He had already cut his dreadlocks before the trade. He had to shave his beard when he got to the Yankees. And what Andrew McCutcheon was discussing specifically was the hair policy. And he was not specifically mentioning that he had to cut his dreadlocks. I was wrong. And you know I stand up when when there are corrections because I'm not going to be right the whole time. Coke is not going to be right the whole time. Thank you for that. So there's a whole group of people we have not talked about a lot, and that is the umpires in baseball. I did a whole plan on CBS that was released May 12th. Many of those things have actually come to pass with the rules for restart. Many of the issues that I said had to be dealt with have been dealt with, not all perfectly. One thing I didn't discuss was umpires. What are the umpires going to do? Here's what umpires do. They fly commercially. They go from city to city. They check their bags. They've got equipment bags. They all have stuff to wear when they're behind the plate because they take turns being behind the plate. So they have shin guards. They have shoulder pads, chest protectors. They have cups. They've got their uniforms. They pack it into a, or actually the 
the visiting clubhouse guy is also the umpire clubhouse guy. At least he was with the Marlins because in the umpire's clubhouse, they have their own clubhouse. It's not as big or as glorious. It's sort of small, but they all have big oversized lockers because they, they have extra equipment. And the visiting clubhouse guy from a stadium supports the umpire's clubhouse, brings them food, helps with their laundry, etc. They then get on a commercial plane, go to their next city, rent cars, check into hotels, etc., etc. What's going to happen during this time of COVID? Well, a negotiation took place between MLB, the commissioner, the owners, and the umpires, and the owners were given the option of opting out for any reason and receiving full pay. The reason why that's important is that many of these umpires are of the demographic that could be deleteriously impacted by COVID, overweight, older, pre-existing conditions, etc., So word is beginning to leak out. I'm not exactly sure how they'll be distancing with umpires because the clubhouses are very, very small. And then when they're on the field, the home plate umpires right with the catcher and the hitter, right? The first and third base umpire and second base umpire can stand away. It's going to be hard to distance. Flying commercially is going to be difficult. So rules have come out that umpires, when possible, can go on team charters. Because teams always fly privately. I think that's a great rule. I think it's important for umpires to try to fly privately and charter as much as possible. So umpires are beginning to come out and say, are they opting in or are they opting out? We had two very opposite things happen in the last couple of days. Number one, Joe West. Joe West is an umpire who's been around forever. Joe West is actually 65 games away from holding the all-time record held by Bill Clem, the all-time record for games umpired, 65 away. He is not a good umpire. He's all about Joe, and this is not being personal. This is actually, we just, we can look at him and say, this is not a good umpire. This is someone who we had problems with, I've had problems with. There is not one GM, one president, or one owner who hasn't had problems with Joe West. He came out and said, I'm in. I'm not opting out. And he had a great quote. He's a Coronis truther, they're called, meaning he doesn't believe in coronavirus. He said, look, most of the people that they're reporting are dying are not healthy to begin with. I've lost 25 pounds over the winter. I'm playing golf every day in the heat. I'm fine. I'm not going to back down now. And by the way, he continued, I don't believe in my heart that all these deaths have been from coronavirus. I believe it may have contributed to some of the death deaths. I said, I'm not going to opt out. I'm going to work. And I'm going to work until you take me off the field or I get hurt. Whatever. I'm working. I think it's good for the country that we get back to work. The country has missed it. And then he did it. This is all about Jersey Joe West. I feel for the little people in this game. I feel for the vendors, for the ticket takers and the ushers, the parking lot attendants, the groundskeepers. It hurts. Guess what? Here's what you don't use to describe someone, you don't say the little people because that sort of indicates what you think about them. It wouldn't even occur to me to call them the little people, not because I'm short and I don't think you mean it's because they're short. Of course, you're opting in. The little people. I want you to find a way, find a way to go to those people during the course of a game and be nice. Wait to see.
Adam Silver's gone public talking about that he's concerned that there could be a bursting of his bubble, that there could be. Well, Adam, wait to see. I guarantee your bubble will be burst. There will be a positive test for COVID-19 within your bubble in Orlando. And your bubble will be burst. And the question is, what will you do? And you will have to say to yourself, yeah, it's business. The show goes on. It's nothing personal.